0: Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. As always, another fun week of talking with so many of you guys. Very humbled, as always. I say it every week how many people from various parts of the country and even other parts of the globe uh, are coming out to see me for Neuropsych Again, I never thought the podcast would... Reach a, a global audience, and I appreciate all of the feedback and the comments. And uh, it was a great week of talking to a lot of guys. Um, some topics that we're going to bring up, people have to talk about, is the impact of mental health on the healthcare system and healthcare workers, whether that's physical medicine. Psychiatric medicine; uh, these last two years have really uh, impacted the entire healthcare system. That is a topic that we will address. Uh, other people wanted me to revisit trauma, both from a perspective of somebody who's experienced trauma as well as somebody who has passively watched trauma. Uh, touching a little bit, maybe on on sports psychology, and. Uh, Again, you know, we do these topics organically. Um, Julie always asks, like, Are you ever going to plan something during the week when you, you know, figure out what you can talk about? It's like, no, I just set everything up, then I figure out, all right, what pops in my mind, and I just go on. So uh, if I haven't gotten back to you guys, I know some of us have been texting back and forth and emailing to try and find a time. Uh, definitely reach out to me this week. I'll give you all the contact information at the end of the show. But in particular, I had a long conversation, Uh, Julie and I both did, with with an individual this week. Um, I've revisited this topic a few times, but we're going to talk about anxious depression. And it's really the intersection of anxiety and depression. And these, I've said this before, these are called the common colds of mental illness. They come to all of us, whether that's generalized anxiety, whether that's Uh, panic disorder whether that's agoraphobia uh obsessive compulsive disorder extreme version of anxiety uh derealization depersonalization which is not psychotic but can happen in states of intense anxiety which is completely separate from dissociation which is a disconnect from reality often very much often rooted in somebody with a history of trauma um but the topic of anxious depression, I think, is really relevant this time of year. The holidays are over. Um, at least, in, you know, living in a warm climate it may not be as susceptible to this, but, uh, you know, those of us in the Northeast and, and, and colder climates and um, sunlight is slowly starting to inch its way back into getting closer to five o'clock uh for us so it's a little better as opposed to getting it dark at 3:30 um, but you know, I think we want to address both, like the you know the psychiatric part of it as well as the psychopharmacological aspect of it, because uh, there is no magic pill for depression, there is no magic pill for anxiety, and all of us are susceptible to one or both of these conditions. And sometimes it could be situational, sometimes it could be chronic or persistent. The old term used to be dysthymia. Uh, think of Eor. The new clinical term is persistent depressive disorder with or without intermittent major depressive episodes so that's basically a low-lying depression that's always there And there's periods of time where someone will go into meeting the diagnostic criteria for clinical depression, which is major depressive disorder, mild, moderate, or severe, with or without psychotic features, with or without anxious distress. So sometimes it's not just generalized anxiety. Oftentimes I will diagnose people with major depressive disorder, moderate, severe, recurrent, with uh, with anxious distress. They don't really meet the diagnostic criteria for formal anxiety disorder, but they do have subclinical symptoms of anxiety that often parses out. And a lot of times the anxiety is, is, is such a very nebulous thing. There's the, there's the psychological part of anxiety, which can be persistent worry, uh, rumination, uh, what ifs. What ifs are a huge part of anxiety, constantly questioning not only uh, our own belief systems, but questioning the belief systems of people we're in relationship with, people that, uh, whether it's platonic, intimate, familial, collegial... um, You know, anxiety does a number on people, and it does have a lot of physical manifestations uh, from sweaty palms to difficulty breathing to uh, heart palpitations, and and panic attacks are the most common cause of emergency room visits because they do mimic cardiac symptoms. So a lot of people have really kind of asked about medication, and I, and I, I don't think I've mentioned this before. One of the things that we do in... Our private practice is we do genetic testing. Uh, we use a company called Genomind, and again, this is a newer uh, age uh, of, a, of a scientific approach. And Julie does a really good job. I mean, I could probably do it, but you know, this is that's Julie's area of expertise. Uh, it's incredibly complicated, but it basically, uh, you're swabbing the inside of an individual's mouth. It goes to a lab and it comes back with a pretty comprehensive metabolic profile. Uh, the vast majority of psychiatric medications are metabolized through the liver, some through the kidneys, but it's able to give basically, it'll tell you here's the easy way to look at it it'll tell you what medications from the anti anxiety medications, antipsychotics, the antidepressants, the mood stabilizers, the ADHD meds, uh, even opiates. You know, God forbid someone needs surgery, it's your individual genetic profile. And it's really good for individuals who have been on a multitude of psychiatric medications and they have had very poor responses. It is also really good for people who are trepidatious about themselves starting a medication or maybe putting their child on a medication. So it really helps prescribers, I think, from a perspective of being able to eliminate all these different medications saying the based on your physiology physiology, these meds are not a good match and it also tells something that's really important you know as we're segueing back into depression it talks about how somebody converts folate and if a person does not convert folate properly no ssri no ssnri none of the antidepressants will work and oftentimes the simple explanation you take an over-the-counter folate medication. So I always recommend a comprehensive, and all my you always, always want to rule out the pathophysiological. So I always, always recommend that somebody gets a full blood panel, which is having your thyroid levels, A1C levels, electrolytes, CBC, folate, iron, magnesium, potassium, copper, zinc, cortisol, vitamin B, B6, B12, C, D, and E. That's a psychiatric panel and you always want to rule out um, like i'm from chicago and i think it was maybe three years after being uh in massachusetts i developed a vitamin d deficiency um here's the irony i take my blood pressure medications every morning but i never take my vitamin d don't ask me why i just <laughs> i always just forget to take it so uh i know julie's right over here and I, there there's things that she wants to go over from a, from a. Physiological, psychopharmacological standpoint, because it's often a very, uh, very common referral question for four prescribers. Um, anxiety and depression can be incredibly debilitating, especially if you have the combination of both. Uh, so, Julie, you wanna pop on, or you need a few minutes? I
1: oh, just
0: need a couple of minutes. Need a few minutes? Yeah. What are you doing? Do <laughs> doing the dishes. Doing the dishes. All right. So, again, as I've said, you know, depression, again, is not a monolithic construct. 120 different combinations of major depressive disorder. Say it every episode. If you want to know what's wrong with you or someone else, get a full neuropsych eval. It's able to delineate. And and a lot of people that have come out that I've done recently, uh, disorders that they thought they had weren't there disorders that they thought that they didn't have, they were there. It's really the only way to delineate it and it just makes the whole therapeutic process so much more effective because depression is just if you look online, it gives you just this stereotypical the person is sad, the person is, is forlorn, they're crying uh, hopelessness is one of the most concerning symptoms of an individual experiencing depression because hopelessness is the best predictor of suicidality whether those are suicidal ideations whether those are uh, actually somebody actually contemplating suicide and we kind of split suicidal ideations into two categories active suicidal ideations is somebody who is actively contemplating a plan uh, overdosing on medication um, hanging themselves driving their car at an excessive no, excessive speed into a telephone pole uh, sometimes very violent um, passive suicidal ideations still equally concerning is you know um, I don't really care if I wake up you know uh, the world might just be better off without me so they're not really formulating a plan. Uh, Freud talked about this. Um, Surprisingly, I refer back to Freud. Um, He called it the, he called it thanatos, which is the Greek word for the death drive. And his philosophy was as much of a will as we have to live, we have the equal degree. um, Once we have the will to live, we have as much of the will to die. So I think it's a very interesting perspective. And, uh, you know, what we know about suicide, ironically, is from people who were unsuccessful at committing suicide. Um, we've learned a lot about it, and it's something that you I always err on the side of caution. People will call me... Uh, Whether I've tested them or we've done some kind of consultation, they'll they'll reach out and they'll say, you know, they're talking about suicide or self-injury. I always recommend take them to the emergency room. Call your local mental health center. You can never predict human behavior to that degree. And I tell especially a lot of parents... Even if you have your child taken to the emergency room and they're evaluated and maybe subsequently hospitalized, they may be angry with you. you. It's easier for parents to deal with a child who is angry with you than to deal with a child who's dead. It's really really. What are you rolling your eyes for? A well, it's true because some people are very hesitant. Like, my kid's going to get upset. My kid's going to be mad. But, you know, suicide is definitely something, uh, especially as we're approaching spring, um Spring is really the time of year, interestingly, that has the highest rate of suicide versus winter, because life is starting, and I'm still stuck in the doldrums of my depression. So, are you ready? I guess
1: so, yeah. I
0: just All right, well, here's Her Majesty. Oh, please. <laughs> she has theme music for you.
1: Right. Can you t- can you take my cape? Your cape? <laughs> just kidding. But seriously, um, I stop telling me to talk to the microphone. Okay, so here, I guess um, this, this week we had a, a person reach out to us and my heart just, I guess that's where it taps into the passion that I feel about what I do for a living um, that I'm privileged and blessed to be able to do it's such an honor to be able to now reach so many more people who are really struggling. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about just what it's like to sit in my chair and how, how much I want to help people. And, and I guess I'm also a human being, so I always bring that into, into focus as well. But I wanna talk about people's relationship to medication. Um, a lot of people, sorry about the ums, guys. After a year, you'd think I'd you know, be better at that. Um, the people, people struggle. Um, I wanna talk about anxious depression because there seems to be a very high prevalence of that. It seems to be growing astronomically. People are depressed and anxious. Uh, I don't it doesn't really matter why Um, I think we all know why there may be an increase in depression and anxiety Um, but for me I felt so I just wanted to climb through the phone and just hug her I mean really it it was a female Um, of course I would never disclose anybody's information and she's not a client of mine but she you know I could feel I sensed her aloneness and um her feeling ashamed about a medication she was taking and just feeling like really helpless and um lovely person um you could tell just a lovely human being and I and I can't tell you that that's just somebody I spoke to on the telephone never mind the people who are in my office people should I I'm so it gets me infuriated um on behalf of folks that struggle with anxiety and depression that's still after all this time, I think we're making progress, but the stigma and the shame factor is nauseating to me. It, it, it just angers me because people that only reinforces people suffering alone. Um, people have a difficult time sometimes with medication. I was in a, in a job where, um, You know, I was seeing many, many patients I had, uh, you know, as managed care, Um, you know, it was the grind, but I was privileged to work with each and every one of them. Um, So I'm very grateful for that. Um, Now that I've transitioned into private practice, I notice that I have a little bit more of a relaxed vibe to it, but the suffering is still the same. I find that people suffer for such a long time and they suffer alone or they suffer with the people that are closest to them. I have no idea what it can I do. it can cause a lot of relationship conflicts, which is really on the uprise too, I'm learning. Um, not surprisingly, again, you know, the, the relationship conflict, the more isolated we feel, the more alone we feel, the more there's nothing wrong with you. It it's just it's so it's so lonely for people. And I, I, I wanna just talk a little bit about just a shift. A little bit about what I would say, which is what I was doing on the phone, like I do, you know, pretty often when we get phone calls with people, you know, he'll, they'll be talking to CORE, you know, because they reach out to him, it's his phone. And I, if I'm in the room and I hear, I'm just, you know, I'm all in, um, you know, because I'll overhear something and they're struggling with medications or they're struggling with this or that. I guess the anxious depression is really interesting to me because it's. I always, when, I, when, I, when I'm sitting with somebody, I'm always asking the question, do you feel more depressed than anxious or anxious more than depression? In other words, chicken or the egg, right? Very rarely is someone just depressed, although that does exist. It's easier for us as prescribers to reach for certain medications when someone is really low, really low. Um that's, that's kind of what I'm going to talk about a little bit, and I kind of, I've jotted things down, um, but just kind of, oh, um, just to kind of talk about, like, what kind of medication should you be considering? So some people have providers. Some people have therapists. Some people have medication providers right now as we speak some don't some people where they live the healthcare system is so shoddy that they there's no and people even in our area even we're feeling that you know we have a lot we have a big network of people that we work with and a lot of people are full and we're trying to recruit more you know clinicians so that we can get people the help that they need, but people can only do so much. Clinicians can only see so many people, and providers as well. So there is a dire need. And if there's a dire need where we live, there's gotta be a dire need in a lot of other places in the United States. remote areas. Especially the remote areas. Um, There are certain things that I just kinda wanna point out to you, because I think for someone who doesn't have a provider, you need to really reach out to your primary care. Primary cares are awesome. I mean, they want to help. They're overwhelmed. Like I said, I couldn't be a primary care doctor because number one, I'm not a doctor. I'm an NP, but I don't practice general medicine the way another, you know, FNP might. Um, so I wouldn't try to manage someone's blood pressure or diabetes because that's just, that's not my lane. It's not my specialty. So I know my specialty. In the same vein, you know, primary cares really do the same. They they they're doing a lot, especially now because of the first line of treatment. They're your first bet. Go to your primary care. Talk to them about how you're feeling. I know they screen. I know it's like annual checkups. But if you're not feeling right, go to your primary care. Because if nothing else, they can hear you listen to you and start you on something.
0: Or we'll refer you some more
1: or refer you to the person that you need to see um primary cares are awesome you know don't underestimate them um they they do a really good job and they're overwhelmed too. I know this for a fact so they have been inundated with people who haven't been in mental health in in the care of a, a treatment provider and they are they're really kind of a buffer for so I'm just talking about like what it's really like out there um if you have a, if you have a therapist, please make sure that they're doing, you know, if you're spiritual, that's wonderful. Um, If they have a spiritual, you know, technique, or uh, like, you know, a lot of therapists are eclectic these days. But someone who really does is really good at grounding um, techniques, because that really helps with anxiety and depression. Uh, Cognitive behavioral therapy is a win win. And that's research based Um, DBT is really just I mostly focus on the distress tolerance skills, um, the emotional regulation skills, and the the mindfulness skills, which are the grounding techniques. So those are all very important. And it's not really about like I favor DBT versus CBT. That's not true. I, I think CBT is absolutely an excellent road for you. I'm going to tell you what I told this woman the other night. Is um download um Wayne Dyer, he's deceased. I mentioned him several times because not only has he helped me in my journey, he helps a lot of people because his his series Excuses Be Gone and the Power of Intention. We
0: do the episode on that.
1: They are that's cognitive behavioral therapy. It, it, it it's something you can do, you can listen to, it will give you hope. It will educate you. It will remind you of all the wonderful people that have come before us that have um, the geniuses of our time and before our time on so many different levels. And I've mentioned this before, but this is something you can do to empower yourself and educate yourself and teach yourself and use every single day. Um, That's number one. Um, Number two, I mean, again, I would always ask somebody. By the time they're sitting in the chair across from me, they've been suffering for a really long time. I think just acute anxiety, acute onset of depression, that's like, I don't even see it um, unless it's grief. Um, but, you know, to also mention people when they're diagnosed with major depression, they have a really hard time with that. Uh, major depression is just a diagnostic label. Um, depression is depression. If you're depressed, you're. it's how depressed are you? So I don't really get hung up on all those levels of diagnostics, but it is important to know that major depressive disorder comes in different categories. So there's recurrent, there's moderate, there's mild, and then there's severe with or without psychotic features. So people can become psychotic when they're depressed. So people are struggling. Coming back to depression and anxiety and anxious depression it's very hard to sit in your own body and experience this and not feel alone. And that's really what I'm going to talk to you about now. So I'm telling you to go to your primary care doctors if you don't have any access to anybody else. And go on psychology today and just go. People are doing telehealth. So that's, that's, the, that's the, the silver lining here is that you don't have to get into somebody's office. You can do telehealth if they're licensed in your state. So, get on Psychology Today and just look and make calls, leave messages. In
0: persons behavioral activation.
1: Again, just giving you some things that you can do: grounding techniques. I can cover that in another episode. Um, actual grounding techniques that I tell my clients to use. Um, but for, for, to talk, come back to like the depression and the anxiety, if they're both, if they're comorbid, comorbid just means if they are, they exist and they're active together. So if someone is struggling with both, usually either the, the depression is dominant, um, and there's no question, right? They, there's just no question that the person is more depressed. Sometimes it's kind of equal so it's like what do you do there with medication and then sometimes it's just more anxiety and you wonder are people becoming depressed because of how anxious they are and how long and how 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 long they've been anxious so you have to think about this in terms of physiology and what your body is reacting to churning out the cortisol and your amygdala just like absolutely blowing up and that does tricks to your body the 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 good news is, is that there, there are ways to calm your body. And that's another, probably another program. But I want to talk to you a little bit about like kind of like the rules of like where you could probably kind of do a little bit of homework to find out what medications are going to work, what are it's not going to work. We use Genomind. Um, there's also Genesight. They all do pretty much do the same thing. Genomind is a little bit more advanced. What the, what the genetic testing has discovered and Cora mentioned it and I won't go over it in detail, but one of the things that the, these te- genetic tests are able to identify is whether or not someone can convert folic acid to methylfolate. If someone is unable to do that, if your folic acid levels are too low, you are not going to be able to metabolize the antidepressants. So if you are on antidepressants already, get your folic acid levels checked by your primary care. So that's one thing you can do. If you're already on medication and you're really depressed and anxious, ask your provider if they can try you on add, adding rexalti. Rexalti is one of those defibrillating medications that people use to kind of uh, re, uh, reboot antidepressants that are already there. So these are things you can do. Get your thyroid checked. Get Corey already rambled the whole list of all of the, you know, uh, labs you can get done to, but thyroid is key too. An overactive thyroid can look like mania and anxiety and underactive thyroid can look like depression. So those are things you, you can do for yourself to advocate for yourself. So when someone's presenting as more anxious, impulsive, obsessive, like the OCD thoughts and kind of irritable, more activated kind of person. Um, usually, the best selection is an SSRI, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Those are your pack. These are your, you know, Prozac, your Zoloft, your Lexapro, your Celexa, It goes on and on. Um, they tend to be more soothing. Again, this is only in my travels, so I I can't. I have to caveat this by saying, you just never know. Back to the genetic testing for a second. I know I'm rambling, but I'm I'm very tangential sometimes. I apologize, but that's how my mind works. The genetic testing will test to see how you will metabolize a medication. The walkaway message is that there's really technically no like never do situation. So if something comes back as like, or if you come back as like a rapid metabolizer, you're going to need a higher dose of medication. That's, to, to offset the symptoms because your liver's actively very, a very active metabolizer. So it's it's blowing through the medication quicker. It's metabolizing medication quicker. Low metabolizers or poor metabolizers, not that there's a character flaw, but that's how they describe it. Poor metabolizers are going to need a lower dose of medication because their body cannot, it's been identified that their body cannot metabolize something in a therapeutic way. So that's probably a medication that we're not gonna look for. Again, this is a whole other episode, I'm just putting stuff out there. So if you wanna get genetic testing done, you can ask providers to see who does it in your area. And then it gives you like this printout of what what you wanna avoid taking. Because why would you start something somebody on something where you know the, the medication comes up in the red? You wouldn't even go there, you just avoid it altogether. Another way to empower yourself, educate yourself, because that's my job, as that's my passion is to teach you what I know, so that you can feel more empowered, and you can actually do something about it. Um, If someone presents as more fatigued, and depressed, and more like, you know, presenting with like anhedonia, like, no motivation, um, you know, just kind of sluggish, like Eeyore, um, usually we'll use SNRIs uh, or like medications like Mobutrin, um because those tend to make people, they're more activating. So they're going to make people feel more energetic. So we're not going to give those to somebody who's like dangling from the ceiling, like super anxious. You want to be careful. And this is what I think a lot of primary carers just don't know because it's not what they do. So this is why I'm telling you this. So Um, symptoms, including agitation, anxiety, and insomnia. So how many people are in struggle with sleep? Paxil, Luvox, Remeron. Those are three great medicines. Um, those are things that can kind of kill three birds with one stone. I love those medications. Remeron is like, it's also called mirtazapine. I'm not doing generic names with this because it's just going to make you have an ice cream headache. Um, So, and then people who are very fatigued, have hypersomnia, sleeping all the time, slowed cognition, psychomotor, you know, slowing predominant. Um, We would use Prozac, uh, Vibrid, Wellbutrin, or an SNRI, like Effexor, uh, Cymbalta. Cymbalta is great if someone has pain, uh, neuropathic pain, like neuropathy. Um, You know, if patient is feeling like they're overweight or concerned about weight gain. Um that's a huge issue with a lot of people and you know you want to be able to accommodate that. Um Prozac Prozac Zoloft Effexor Pristique, or Wellbutrin none of those typically cause weight gain. Um so if someone needs to gain weight, you'd want to put them on Remeron or Paxil. And you know again, if someone's predominantly depressed Trintelix is a brilliant medication. That's a new one. Um, relatively new. I mean, it's been out for 10 years, probably more. Um, that really treats depression very well. And it also treats like impaired cognition. Um, I don't know if that's FDA approved for anything like ADHD, but, um, it's, it's definitely an awesome medication. Um, if people are, like I said earlier with the Rexalti, if you're already on medications and you feel like they've pooped out and they're like not doing anything anymore, you're going to find out a lot about what they are still doing when you take yourself off of them. Um, so my suggestion is always add Rexalti or add Abilify. If someone's super anxious and you add Abilify, though, they might get even more anxious because Abilify can create a little bit of an anxiety. Um, Rexalti also in my experience, helps with not only depression, but also anxious mood. Um, so I just wanted to say a few things about that. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm just going to teach you as we go. I don't want to keep you here forever. Uh, I, it, it's just something that just really, it really, my heart just melted um, this past week when I spoke to this person and I just wanted to, you know, like I said, reach out. And I realized that so many people um, like, like this person, like so many of you are struggling and isolating. Um, try not to isolate. I know it's hard, but try to push yourself to just tell somebody if you're not feeling right. You know, maybe somebody knows somebody who can get you help. Um, and you have our phone number, so you know how to re- get a hold of us. Um, And I am deeply grateful and so intensely moved and heart, like just my heart is full for everyone who this this um, podcast touches, because that's what it's here for. And I'm really grateful that any of you feel comfortable enough to reach out to us. God bless you. And I'll probably talk to you next week. (laughs) Nice job, honey.
0: So we just wanted to revisit uh, anxiety and depression again, because it's probably one of the most prevalent uh, psychiatric conditions, one that I diagnose um, on a pretty consistent basis. And Julie used the term comorbid. Um, It's comorbid with a lot of different psychiatric conditions, whether that's uh, schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder, um, OCD, uh, there's just a, a whole host of, of psychiatric conditions. But one that is really, as Julie mentioned, I used to be able to text my colleagues who are amazing uh, clinicians who really know how to do therapy um, sending you john smith sending you amanda and they haven't been taking people for months just because the the waiting list in massachusetts to get into a large organization for a full neuropsych eval is probably about two and a half to three years i try to get people in as quickly as possible i always test in one day and, uh, I never cut any corners and I'm just a staunch proponent of diagnostics. And, you know, as I said before, my main job is to tell people what is wrong with them. Uh, so I'm doing, you know, most neuropsych evals are 10 and 12 pages. I'm doing 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, hundred page evals. Not that I think Julie has ever read anyone that I've done, but that, you know, in her profession, that's the that, yeah, you read the last page. Um, no, not the results. You read the last page, which is relevant to what Julie does for a living because she needs to know what the what the diagnostic picture is. But we just wanted to not, I don't want to say underestimate, I, I guess we wanted to emphasize the, 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 the prevalence, uh, the chronicity, the severity, the comorbidity. And the loneliness, I think Julie made a great point that it, this is a very anxiety, depression are very lonely disorders. And they really do impact the entire family system. They impact work. They impact your your relationships with your friends. They, they impact everything. And uh, it just seems so easy to say like anxiety and depression. You think, well, just get over it, take a deep breath, take a shower, go for a walk, go to the gym. It is nowhere near that easy. And so many people have reached out to me. Uh, that I, after I see them for for a neurosurgery, like can can I see you for therapy, or can I have my child see you for therapy? And it's just I I just don't have the time. It's not because I, I, I can't do it. It's just I just don't have the time because I focus so much primarily on, on diagnostics. And, and I guess, yeah, I'm very anal and type A when it comes to this. But, um, you know, my entire job is to figure out what's wrong with people. And, you know, some, I, I tell people like like neuropsychonals are not designed to figure out what's right. They're designed to figure out what's wrong. But once you know what it is, then you know how to treat it. And there is hope. Happened? And it, yet also is able to delineate. Wrong. Well, I mean, what's wrong in terms of the sense of like, what is the diagnosis, but not only what the diagnosis is, but how the diagnosis manifests specific to an individual. And there is incredible amount of hope. That was a huge part of doing this podcast. Because I, I, I've seen it, and I, I know Julia's seen it, whether that's from a, a, a psychotherapeutic perspective, whether that's from a psychotropic medication perspective. The best, you know, the research has shown consistently is CBT and, and, and psychotropic medications for all psychiatric conditions yield the best uh, efficacy and, and, and treatment outcomes. But it, it, these are very lonely disorders, and they do impact not just the individual, they impact the entire system family, work, relationships. Um, It's a lonely world out there. You know, the last two years have been really tough, I think, on on the entire planet. And again, I don't know if we're still in the pandemic, if we're out of the pandemic, if we're where we are on this but it, it's a different world and I could definitely tell you from experience that, that the mental health system is flooded and I think again I you know talking Julie and I have the same primary care he's my cardiologist also primary care and in just my conversation with him he said they're dealing with more psychiatric stuff than they are with actual you know physical medicine because it it it's it, it's a lonely disorder um, you know, I mentioned this before, I'm a huge fan of Bruce Springsteen, and, you know, reading his autobiography, Born to Run, and he talks about his father's depression, which I think turned out to be the bipolar psychosis or schizophrenia, and, and his own depression, that, that it, it doesn't matter what state you are in, what your status is, what your socioeconomic status is, what, what position you're in, nobody is immune to life And life comes to us all. And life affects us all. And in the different roles that we play, in the different jobs that we do, whether that's a paying job, whether it's a job as a parent, as a spouse, as a partner, as a sibling, whatever, anxiety and depression will can, it can wreak havoc on all of those systems. So Please do not underestimate it. The quicker you are able to figure out what it is and the quicker you are to get into uh, some form of treatment. Again, I come from a very strong cognitive behavioral perspective. Julie's leaning next to me. Um, get Again, I think Julie made a great point. Go to your primary care. Come on.
1: <laughs> what, go on. Cognitive, download, download these... Um, These series, the ones I said, Uh, Wayne Dyer, just to start, Excuses Be Gone and The Power of Intention. Cognitive behavioral therapy comes in very different forms. This is something you can do at home. I say this because if you can change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. A lot of us cannot like wave a magic wand and change our life, our lifestyle, our life situations. This is something you can do internally, that no matter what your situation is, if you start to look at things a little bit differently, that your your thoughts, your feelings will follow. You have a lot more power than you realize, and there's nothing wrong with you. And remember, it's neurotransmission too. These are it's a chemical thing, a chemical thing. So, I'm sorry. I just I, I I just wanted to add that. I'm done. I'm not going to interrupt anymore. He is sure. Mm-hmm.
0: So. As, I, as I've said in many of the episodes, whatever psychiatric condition you have, we're just sticking to the realm of anxiety and depression. It's something you have. It is not something you are. The human condition is resilient, but it takes work. There is no magic pill. Just popping Prozac, taking Zoloft, taking Lexapro, taking Effexor, taking Cymbalta. Yes, that will change the neurochemistry of your brain but it will not give you the coping skills. Just like people have this misnomer about the, you know, the stimulants like like Adderall, Ritalin, Concerta, Vyvanse, um, Yes, they will help anybody concentrate, but they don't teach anybody the skills of how to plan, organize, sequence, hold multiple constructs in their mind simultaneously. Skills are what are needed in 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 being able to manage and behavioral activation. I know Julie talked about telehealth as as being you know it's 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 a great medium, and I think it's it was here prior to the pandemic. It it, it just has you know, exploded exponentially. Since the pandemic, it's here to stay. But if you're somebody with severe depression, you want really want to be going to an office because you need to do the work. And I've always said the work in therapy takes place in between sessions, not during your 45-minute to an hour session. So hopefully we were able to shed some light on one of the most prevalent uh, psychiatric conditions that we confront on a daily basis. Uh, again, clinical depression is different than just the blues. Uh, Get a eval. figure out what it is. It will give you the answers. Um, as always, be hopeful. It doesn't matter what you have. Be hopeful. It takes work. But, you know, again, our society, at least in, in, in Western society in the United States, I, I don't think we've gotten to a place where we really... We've gotten better, but really don't give mental health the legitimacy. And that's another reason of doing the podcast is these are legitimate conditions. These are legitimate diagnoses. These are legitimate symptoms. These are real symptoms that impact the individual, that impact life, that impact all aspects of people's lives. So whatever Julie and I can do to help you on whatever psychological journey that you on or you're, you're on, that's why I, I, I give my, my cell phone number out. So you are feel free to get a hold of me through psychology today. Uh, you can email me at psychologyunplugged@outlook.com at my cell phone number 617-750-9411 east coast time on uh, in the united states i give this out because we are passionate about what we do we do i i i just i every day i feel like i do my i think julie would espouse to the same view we do our modest version of god's work to try and help as many people as we can and, if I again, if we haven't connected or I haven't responded, um, I do my best. Um, just keep reaching out to me. I will get in touch with you. Until next time, be well. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Question everything. Look for the good in yourselves. Look for the good in other people. All right? We are here for you guys. Be well. I'll talk to you next week.